Hello, and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger. One thing I know to be true is that you can and should have food that is both healthful and craveably delicious. My guest today, who is named one of the 21 badass women changing the food world by Marie Claire magazine, knows a lot about making food craveable, and she's here to spill her best tips and tricks. She won the James Beard Foundation Award for Best Chef Northeast and has competed on Top Chef and Food Network. Her new book is called Crave, Bold Recipes That Make You Want Seconds. Please welcome Karen Akunowitz. Karen Akunowitz, it's so great to have you here. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on this incredible book. I'm just... I mean, my mouth is just watering going through it, and I want to make about 100 things. So I'm so excited to share this with everyone and talk about making food craveable, because I really think it's a foundation of eating well. And a lot of times, I think this is what's missing from the conversation about health and nutrition, flavor and craveability. Mm. And we absolutely have to have both. There's no reason why we should ever have to like eat something that we don't love. I totally agree with you. And I, I think that, I mean, I definitely crave vegetables, um, but I think that they are delicious and they can be delicious. And I think there's different treatments that you can give to vegetables. And I don't think that you have to sacrifice flavor, right? It's just knowing how to add it in a way that maintains the integrity of the vegetable or the dish or whatever it is. I don't think we have to eat nothing but you know, uh, dried chicken breasts and steamed broccoli. Although I ate that on occasion too. Yeah, but please, uh, <laughs> no, please don't make me. <laughs> we don't have to. There are so many ways to say, wow, this is, this is so delicious and craveable. So we're going to dive into that and I'll, I'll highlight recipes from the book and, and you're going to give us, you know, you're going to share your secrets, I know. But before that, I wanted you, your story is so amazing and just the success you've achieved with the James Beard Award and your incredible restaurant and and restaurants, I should say. And um, tell us about your story and your path to success in the culinary world, because you really didn't get into cooking until kind of adulthood, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny to say, I used to say, you know, I really came to cooking later in life and by later in life, we're saying 24, right? So (laughs) that's a huge reflection on our society. Um, But I didn't really start cooking even at home until I was in my twenties. I cooked at home with my mom. I mean, I helped make dinner in our house. You helped with every aspect of the home and the yard. And and those are things, you, you know, we did because we were part of our family, right? Like we're good members of our community. Um, But, you know, I really started cooking in earnest when I was in my 20s, when I was out of college. And I started cooking to impress a girl and get a date. And um, that was kind of my first foray into cooking. And I started cooking at home and I I just loved it. I felt like it was magic. Um, And I had worked in restaurants uh, for a long time. I'd worked in the front of the house for a long time. But that kind of foray into cooking, I thought, ah, I, I think this is something that I want to do um, in earnest in, or try to do in earnest with my life. Um, I was going to, um, I was applying to school to get my master's degree, my master's in social work. And instead, I pivoted and I went to culinary school instead. It is really amazing <laughs> because, I mean, it's interesting because 
there's I've talked to a lot of people in during this podcast and so on who have actually kind of leaned towards social work in their academic life and then wound up becoming chefs or becoming home decor experts or whatever. Mm. And it is interesting because these are all such integral parts of happiness for people and 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 quality of life. So to me it's it might seem like a disconnect to people, but to me it's totally not a disconnect, you know. No, I agree with you 100%. I have a wonderful therapist. And one of the things that we worked on very early on was like things that make you like when you're trying to be calm, what are things that make you feel good? And it's like a color, right? Really simple. Like what is a color that you love that makes you feel good? What is the smell that you love? What are things that feel good for you? And when we talk about, you know, when we talk about whether it be food, right? Which is like, and kind of an easy connect, but cooking for people is a way of saying, I care about you. Right. And if we're in therapy, like, you know, our therapist is caring for us and helping us care for ourselves. When you're talking about home decor, right, we're talking about making our space beautiful so that when you come into it, you feel held in whatever way is important to you. So no, I totally agree with you. I think that all makes sense. Yeah, it's amazing. So in your book, Crave, you say that you share the secrets to making wildly craveable food every day of the week. I just love that Mm -hmm. idea. I think and it doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be complicated. And that's what I love about it too. And the recipes in the book are certainly all of that. So let's like dig in a little bit. What what makes a food craveable? And this is like, this is a big question, right? I mean, it sounds like a little <laughs> question, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that I, I can answer it in two ways, depend on, depending on how esoteric you want to be. You know, I think it's like, what makes you want to go back for that second bite? And then the third right? That's the thing. Do you taste something and say, oh, that was good. Or do you taste it and say, oh my God, I have to have another bite of that. And then what leads up to that? So we can say it is that second bite craveability. If we break it down as cooks or as chefs and we say, well, things that really do that are texture, right? Contrast in texture, contrast in flavor, temperature, So it's having these different pieces as a chef, when you create a dish, you're saying, okay, it still needs something. So many of us so it needs something crunchy, needs texture. Oh, it needs acid, right? Well, does it need lemon juice? Does it need lemon zest? Does it need vinegar? Does it need pickled red onions? It needs something that lights it up, that makes it bright, that gives you a respite if it's you know rich or if it's creamy um, or if it's spicy, right? If it's spicy, does it need something, a little something cooling? Does it need a little dollop of yogurt? You know, what is it that makes it so delicious but then gives it respite and makes you go back for that for that second bite. So I think that one of the things in the book that we you know really focus on is you know those high and bright acetones. There's an entire chapter on crunchy, right? Like crunchy bits. Some are crunchy dishes. Some are crunchy bits that you put on your dishes. Um, you know, and how do you how do you create that balance and have that excitement for your palate? Yeah, I often think about it like music because like, yeah, mm-hmm. you have your bass drum and then if you, you could listen, you don't want to listen to a bass drum all day, just like thronging in your ear. And then, but then you get some nice, you know, guitar strums in there and then you're getting, the, then you're getting somewhere, right? And then maybe I, you need a little tambourine or whatever. Yeah. You, you know, um, you're getting some more high notes pinging in to contrast. And so I always, I often think of food in this way. And it's similar to that, like auditory pleasure that comes from that balance. And also the spaces in between that, mm-hmm. like, 
as you're saying, like, yeah, you don't want something to hit you over the head necessarily. With spicy, you need that respite from a little bit of cooling flavor, maybe maybe uh, a cooling like a cucumber or maybe a yogurt or whatever it may be. So that kind mm-hmm. of contrast, I often think about it in terms of music. And I absolutely agree. And I do want to dig into some of these things. I, I have so much to, <laughs> that I want to dig in with you about. I love the, <laughs> um, I love the titles of your chapters. And I want to get into that a little bit. Um, because I think it has a real relevance actually from a nutritional point of view that I want to bring in that you might oh, not awesome. have even, you might that. not have even contemplated. But before that, when we talk about craveability, one thing I love about what you talk about in your book is how much emotion and memories mm. factor into craveability also. So yes, there's a technical aspect. There's this sort of biological aspect of literally the way the food affects your taste buds and your mouth and your sensory and your vision and stuff like that. But then there's memory and emotional connection with food. And I think that is hugely underrated when we're talking about food, particularly in the context of health, because I think it's important. One of the things I think in cultivating a healthy life is actually creating memories around healthy food. I mean, I have so many thoughts about this. Um, Just as as a mom, like saying like, you know what? Yeah, baking with my kid is fun and I, we, we're going to make cookies, we're going to make brownies. But you know what else? My kid loved when I took her to the farmer's market and she picked out a stock, a full complete stock of um, Brussels sprouts. Brussels walked, sprouts. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> she walked home like she was like the conductor of the parade yes. and then we roasted them and I guarantee, and she loved Brussels sprouts from that moment on. So I think we have an opportunity when we embrace this idea of creating memory, good memories and nice emotional connections with food. We have an opportunity to do that, not just with sweets or whatever with children, but also with healthy foods, with vegetables, with soups, with anything. Kids love to make squash and dig in there and take the seeds out or whatever. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about memory and you also share some of your memories around and your emotional connections with a lot of the foods mm. in the book. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there are so many things that add to those to those cravings, right? I think that part of it is, I think your body knows what it needs. I think sometimes when you're craving things, your body needs protein. And so you're craving, you know, maybe you're craving meat or you're craving steak or you're craving chickpeas if you're a vegetarian or whatever it is, or your body is craving things that are light and bright. It's winter time. So our body craves citrus, right? Because we need those vitamins, I think that's like really like listening to your body, but I, I definitely think, I mean, I think about craving, you know, breaded chicken cutlets that my mom used to make when I was a kid. And I know she's got in the fridge for me when I go home, I think about craving, you know, in the summer or when it's actually before it gets to be summer here in new England, I crave lobster. I crave shellfish. I crave, is it necessarily that I'm craving lobster or oysters? I mean, yes, I love them, but what I'm really craving is spending the summer in Maine with my family. What I'm really craving is going to Five Islands Lobster and sitting in the sun and feeling the sun and smelling the the ocean air and having you know that that a little bit slower time. I'm craving going to Glidden Point and getting my oysters and sitting and looking at the Dermascotta River and shucking my oysters, you know, um, with my daughter and my spouse and. And hanging out, like, I think that we're also craving the experience around the food. And as you mentioned, we get to, you know, especially with kids, 
but also within our family or our friends, we get to create those memories around, you know, whether it's vegetables or healthy food or, or whatever it is, it's the, the creation of that, that thought, those memories, I think that we, we really crave in our, in our hearts. I completely agree. And it's like, that's what makes you love, you know, when you come home from Italy or you come home from a vacation, you, and you, you try to recreate those experiences with food at home. It brings you back to that time. It brings you back to that place, to that time of feeling comforted and, and fun and all that. And I'm so on board with you because my like happy food is totally the food summer food by the beach. It is mm -hmm. lobster roll. It is lobster roll with fries and, and New England clam chowder. And, yes. and I just love that. It makes me so happy. It's totally my comfort food. And it might not qualify as comfort food for people who don't get that, like a lobster roll. <laughs> but it's exactly that. It brings me back to these happy days on the beach with my family, with my friends, whatever. So totally. And it's interesting. I want to chime in a little bit about this notion of that we crave what we need, because the research on this is like not really clear. Um, mm. There's, It's really been hard to research. It's hard to research this in the first place. And the there's so much nurture and nature involved. So it's not necessarily this biological thing that says, oh, we need iron, so we crave meat. It's not that clear because there are so many other emotional factors involved, as we've mm -hmm. been saying. But one thing that's so interesting, there's a woman um, named Clara Davis, who decades and decades ago did a study um, on children, young children, like toddlers. Mm -hmm. And she put out food every day, a variety of foods, at their disposal that they could pick by themselves and eat with their hands, whatever, pick whatever they wanted from this variety of all different healthful foods. So there was no like sugary stuff on there. It was just mm -hmm. all healthful foods. And she found that the children, it's a very famous experiment. She found that the children all picked foods that were nutritionally balanced. They all picked different foods and they mm -hmm. might've gone on food jags for a while, eating just one thing for a while, but they always balanced it out. And that became known as sort of this theory and this proven thing of the wisdom of the body. And so mm -hmm. this does seem to truly exist and it doesn't always exactly correlate because there are so many other emotional factors involved. Um, and also sometimes we're craving things because we deprive ourselves of them. Like there's right. uh, there's research that shows that American women crave chocolate during their menstrual cycle or whatever. But mm -hmm. French women who eat much more chocolate on a day-to-day -day basis don't crave chocolate during their right. menstrual cycle. So some of it has to do with our cultural influences. Some of it has to do with our personal emotional factors. So it is complicated stuff. But the bottom line is, is that there is some wisdom to what the body will, you know, what we will choose given, you know, a, a selection of good choices. Um, but anyway, let's move on to talking about some of these um, recipes in the book that I love. Um, and the chapter titles, I'm going to get to that, is there here are a few. And I love how you, <laughs> you separated these out tangy and bright, fresh and crisp, creamy and cheesy, crispy and crunchy. It makes me kind of hungry just even saying all these words. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, hot and spicy, roasted and grilled, carby and starchy, hearty and homey, decadent and savory, sweet and luscious. I love that. And I think, and when 
the factor of this that I wanted to bring up is that I think if we stop, if we're hungry for something and we want food and we stop and think about, well, what am I craving? What category? Do I want something tangy and bright? Do I want something fresh and crisp? I think that's a really healthy thing to do because it taps into this sort of mindfulness of our choices. Mm-hmm. Now we're sort of really saying like, what do I want? Not just sort of randomly like stuffing our faces with food. Right. We're really being thoughtful and mindful about it and like scratching that itch in a really specific, beautiful way. Um, so I think that's healthier than maybe you even realized when you were writing it. Um, no, I mean, I definitely, I definitely thought about it in, in being when you you know, not, not quite that path, but when we talk about, Oh, what do you want? For, right. What is the question? We, what do you guys want for dinner? What do you want to have for dinner? Um, you know, is it that I'm like, Oh, well, I want, uh, do I say like, Oh, I want chicken. No, I like chicken. Might I say, Oh, I want chicken pho from our favorite takeout spot. Might I say, Oh, I want fried chicken. Okay. What is it? What is it? Is it that I want fried chicken or is it that I want something crispy and crunchy and salty? Is it that I want something that somebody else used to make for me? Do I want chicken because I want something simple? So I want just like roast, just a roast chicken. Like what is the actual thing that you want? And I think that's what it usually is. So I wanting something fresh or want something comforting or hot. I want something spicy. Well, is it that I want spicy pad thai or I want spicy hot and sour soup? Or is it that I, I'm just cra- I'm craving that heat or craving that warmth or whatever it is? I'm, I'm really glad that you like it. I will say this is a hard book to sell because publishers kept telling me they didn't understand the chapters. They we had did. a really hard, we had a really hard time, you know, and I don't think I've said this in an interview yet. We had a hard time selling the book because publishers kept telling me they didn't understand the chapters. It didn't really make sense to them. Oh, it makes such perfect sense to me. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. And you did sell it, obviously. It's beautiful. And (laughs) they finally came around, I guess. I mean, what made what got them to come around? Countrymen loved it from the beginning. Uh, Countrymen is an amazing imprint of WW Norton. And my editor, Anne um, Anne Treatsman, loved it, loved it immediately. She said, I love this book. I love she this got idea. you. We, she got she you. got it. Yeah, <laughs> she got it. And and we worked on it a little bit. I these they weren't the exact titles that I kind of wrote my proposal with and started with. I may I you know I worked on them a little bit. Um, but but yeah, she she got it and she she loved it immediately. Okay, so let's get into some of these secrets that you talk about. In particular, I would love to talk about secrets around making vegetables craveable. And mm, I, I highlighted I love that because people don't think of vegetables as like craveable food. And I think that's a mistake. And I think you think that too. I do think that we're in sync here. Yeah. I'm also married to a vegetarian. So I make a lot of vegetable forward food um, in our, in our home. And also I do think vegetables are craveable. Do you want to think it's so crave? This is so stupid and simple, but like cucumbers, how delicious is a cucumber? It's cold. It's crisp. It's fresh. Like that, that's craveable. I don't know. I, I think so vegetables true. are very craveable. And I think for me, vegetable soup, I just always want vegetable soup. Oh my God. Delicious. Like that warmth. And you have one in your book that I just love. I, that I, I don't, I know I'm going to love when I make it because I'm going to make it this week. I think um, the parsnip and white miso soup. Mm. 
Um, tell us about that. How do you how how is that craveable to you? So that's craveable because you know we were kind of talking a little bit before about kids choosing like balanced balanced food. This is a really balanced dish. So I think that people you know when fall rolls around, especially here in New England, right? It's like oh we'll make squash soup or pumpkin soup which is all well and good root, root vegetables, right? We have a lot, this is our root vegetable time. It's our brown, brown food time in New England. Um, and I used to make a carrot soup and I was like, Oh, what about parsnips? And parsnips are so distinct, right? Um, they are earthy. They have a little bit of a menthol flavor to them, I think, but they're really distinct. We're not just saying, okay, we're going to roast a bunch of parsnips and we're going to puree them into soup we are adding miso to it. So we're adding umami, right? So we've got, you know, an earthy element from the parsnips. We're now adding umami, which is such a craveable flavor. We're adding apples to it. So we're adding Granny Smith apples. You can use whatever kind of apples you want. That depends, but you were getting the sweetness and the tartness from the Granny Smith apples. So now we've got earthy, we've got umami, we've got sweet, and we've got a little bit of tart. And although it doesn't have a ton of fat in it, it becomes very rich. And we blend it and we put it through a chamois so it's very silky and luxurious. So now we've got this, this soup that is silky and luxurious. It's a little sweet. It's a little tart. It's full of umami. It's a little bit earthy. So it has all of these craveable elements to it in like, you know, uh, uh, something that seems quite humble. Yeah. And it has milk in it too, which I love. And I'm guessing mm-hmm. it would be nice with even plant milk if you wanted to substitute that. But um, I love that the milk also gives it enough protein that it could be really like an entree. And then you serve it yes. with like a salad, maybe with some chickpeas on it or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for balance. Absolutely. But, um, but yeah, I love this. I, I'm making a soup. I love putting miso in soup, actually. I think so many soups are beautiful with just stir, even chicken soup, a basic chicken yes. soup, stir in a little miso and it's like, boom, so good. Um, you could absolutely make this with plant milk. I think it'd be delicious with coconut milk, with with whatever you wanted. You could also just make it with vegetable broth. Right. So if you wanted to take that dairy out, if you you know have an aversion to dairy or lactose or lactose intolerant, you could take the dairy out entirely. I make almost nothing with also... I think that, you know, soups, when we think about them being rich or creamy, we're talking about adding heavy cream. And I I use heavy cream almost never in my cooking. I think there are very few places where it is necessary. Um, And I think milk gives it just, you know, just enough body and creaminess um, without adding that heavy cream to it. Yeah, I love that too. And I often put, when I want creaminess, I'll sometimes put in just white beans, just like a can of white beans and puree it with that. And that's kind of a nice thing to do too. So that covers like creaminess in vegetables. I mean, not covers it, it touches upon. But let's talk about like, I love how vegetables also can add so much of this like crunch. And you have smoky kale chips with crisps actually, which... I have a recipe for kale chips that's so similar and I love it because you put smoked paprika in it and I do the same thing. I love smoked paprika on the kale chips. It's so great. And I, and I love to um, sometimes use these as like a garnish for things, just like Mm. crunch them up on top of salads or whatever, but tell us about these smoky kale crisps. 
Yeah. So this can absolutely be alone as a snack, or like you said, put it on a salad, put it in, you know, put, put them on top of soup, use them as that, as that crunchy element. I love kale chips, kale crisps. Um, I think they're delicious. You know, these are baked. You could also put these in an air fryer. I have to say when I wrote this book, I started writing it four years ago, air fryers were not prevalent in the way that they are today. And I think that had they been, I would probably have adjusted some of the recipes to mm. for, for an air fryer um, variation as well. Um, but what it does is, so you get, again, the earthiness from the kale, you get the crispiness because you're baking them, you get delicious olive oil on them. and But then you're adding that smoked pimenton, you're adding that paprika. And so you're getting that smokiness, you get a little bit of sweetness, you get a little, little bit of heat, but you get that smokiness. And that gives you that craveability. That's the that you can't eat just one. Um, and, you know, I think that they are infinitely delicious. And, and you can use them on top of so many things. And there's so many so ways of crisping up vegetables, like other sort of crisp vegetable examples. I mean, just like this kind of like roasting smashed potatoes, for example, like crisping that up. Um, what other, like you can also crisp up what, like, um, gosh, I mean, for fruits, I love to do like almost apple chips, for example. Mm -hmm. Those are really lovely. Um, so there's lots of like crispiness that you can kind of bring out in vegetables. And I love when I'm roasting broccoli at like kind of a high temperature and it gets that mm -hmm. like crispiness to it. So I think definitely crispiness often equals craveability when it comes to vegetables. I agree. And I think, you know, whether you're using brassicas like broccoli or you're using any kind of root vegetables, I mean, one of two things, right? You roast them very high temperature. So you get that crispiness, right? It's, it doesn't get kind of mush on the inside. You retain some of that um, inherent crispiness, but then you get the nice crispy edges. Or you can do kind of what you do with the smashed potatoes and bookers, you actually boil them. You could do this with cut your carrot, your parsnips, your potatoes into rounds, boil them until they're soft. And then in a really hot cast iron pan with a little bit of neutral oil, kind of smash them down into the pan like you do with the potatoes. And then you've got this like cr super crispy exterior and the soft creamy interior. Mm, yum. Yum, yum. yum. <laughs> hip hip hooray for craveable vegetables. It's yes. not that hard. It's like not hard. <laughs> That's awesome. Another thing I love is how you did this curried tomato sauce. So I think uh. we look at tomato sauce like with like one lens, right? We think like marinara or whatever. And that's great. I love marinara. <laughs> Can't go wrong. But I love right. how you put some of this just red Thai red curry paste in there. Mm -hmm. And now we have some and some herbs and now we have and red pepper flakes. And now we have something like totally transformed. I mean, you could technically kind of do this with like a jar of tomato sauce, right? You absolutely, of course you could. Absolutely. Absolutely. You could do it with a jar of tomato sauce. You know, I think tomatoes are, you know, we think of marinara, but tomatoes are so versatile and they're a fruit, right? So they actually have that inherent sweetness. When you cook tomatoes, they take on a lot of umami. Um, so whether you're doing something like pureeing the, the red curry paste into it, or you can take tomatoes and, and just cook them to freshness, cook them down with olive oil, right? Add um, another great, if you're doing fresh tomatoes, another great spice, uh, curry spice to add to it is vadavan. So if it's in the summer and you want to make like a really fresh, bright kind of pureed tomato sauce, you can add vadavan to it, which is a French curry, a little bit lighter. I never heard of that. A whole, yeah, it's so, deli so delicious. I oh. think you would love it. What's um, in that? 
Um, so it's a spice blend, but it's a, you know, a, a French version. So the spices are a little bit lighter um, and just, just delicious with yellow tomatoes, lots of olive oil, a little bit of Vatavon and just puree it as it is. I mean, you have, you have something that's has depth of flavor and, and deliciousness. And oh, that sounds so good. Perfect. I love that there's always something new to learn in the food world. So mm-hmm. now I'm going to have to check out Vatavon. Totally. Oh yeah. I think you'll love it. And then another one I want to bring up is, and this whole notion actually of um, decadence and savory. So you have this recipe in your decadence and savory chapter. Now, when people think decadent and savory, I don't think they're often thinking about vegetables, but you have drunken fennel with balsamic vinegar. And it is truly, I mean, the picture looks decadent and savory. And just the fact that a vegetable, a couple of vegetables made it into your there's braised escarole. Oh my gosh, I mm-hmm. love with bre- with white wine and brown butter. I love 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 escarole. But just the fact that vegetables are in this chapter, like kudos, because I think people need to think about vegetables in this decadent, savory way more so. So tell us about drunken fennel. I'm totally making this too. So the it's 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 fenocchio ubriaco, which is drunken in Italian, and so we're searing the fennel. I first of all, I love fennel. It doesn't get enough. It doesn't get enough play. It's so bright. It's so crisp. It's such a delicious flavor. There's a fennel panzanella in the book too that I I love. It's on the menu right now at, at Fox and the Knife. Um, but fennel, so we sear it in, season it well, sear it in cast iron, so it develops that beautiful golden kind of crust on the outside. We're getting that amalolectic fermentation. Um, and it's, you know, delicious and brown. And even that, right, even just that, we've browned it, it's delicious. But we're going to add balsamic vinegar, which is so luxurious, right? When we're talking about real balsamic, good balsamic from Morena, it's rich, it's luxurious. And then we're adding, you know, you can you can add brandy, you can add cognac, you can add whatever rich kind of um, liquor you want to add. But that's going to cook off in the process, but you're adding this very luxurious um, item to the fennel. And as it roasts and it gets softer on the inside, you have all of these flavors that develop from the the brandy and from the, from the balsamic vinegar. And it's just delicious. So you end up having this really layered in flavor, layered in texture side dish that actually I think is kind of the the star of the show. I love it. I love making vegetables the star. And I think that's Mm -hmm. often why people feel like, oh, I have to eat my vegetables because they're an afterthought. So when we make them the star and we give them love, we need to give them love. This is certainly lots of love. Well, Um, that's the thing. They're, They're an afterthought. So it's like, so how much effort are you putting into cooking them? You know, and you can put just a little, I mean, just sauteing something nicely in garlic, red pepper flakes, salt olive oil, right? Even that is, is, but when we're, but we're not putting the care into anything, right? We're not putting the care. We're not putting the love in. Nobody wants to, that's not something anyone's going to crave, much less really want to want to eat. Right. And they're not going to remember, but remember it and have cravings for it down in their later in their life. But like, I'll tell you what, I will have cravings for all of these recipes that we're talking about. (laughs) You've totally inspired me. Um, I don't know if you, is there anything else you want to add before we we sign off. No, I mean, I'm just so glad that you, you know, that you love the book and, and thanks for getting it and getting the, the vegetables and the chapters. And, you know, I'm just so excited to share it with, with everyone. 
Well, it's fabulous. So everyone pick up a copy of Crave, Bold Recipes That Make You Want Seconds. Um, I think it will help you enjoy all different foods in um, a healthful way and, and create some beautiful memories. So Karen, thank you so much for joining us here. And, um, and I hope to see you soon. Oh, Ellie, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I hope you've come away with some new ideas for satisfying your cravings and making healthy food that makes you want seconds. Join me next time for another one real good thing.